0: big warm welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me your host Nigel Palmer. Well how has your week been? We're here at Wildlife Matters HQ. It's been a busy one. We were delighted to announce our partnership with the lovely people at One Voice for Animals UK and you will be hearing a lot more from them very shortly. We also played our part in this year's National Animal Rights March in London and would like to congratulate the NAM team that stepped in to save the march and to deliver it so magnificently at very short notice. Wildlife Matters walked with the march talking to you and the people on the march and we will be sharing some of their excellent thoughts and comments very soon. This week's Wildlife Matters Investigates is looking at the plight of captive cetaceans, and then we head to the southwest of England to expose the stag hunters that illegally chase stags and kill them for sport. But before that, we look at the disturbing letter from rural affairs minister, Lord Bennion, which backtracks on the government's promise to end the badger culls in 2025 and reveals they are planning to continue with a new killing policy that has been tagged as epi culling, where all badgers can be killed within a given area. It could continue indefinitely as well as there is no end date on the proposal. They're going to be consulting this autumn, but we will tell you everything that we know in this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News that is coming up next on the Wildlife Matters Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News and disturbing news for you this week as we have heard that the government is to set back on its long promised plans to stop culling badgers after 2025 as part of their efforts to tackle bovine tuberculosis in cattle. Ministers had pledged to phase out the badger cult in two years, instead focusing on vaccinating both badgers and cattle and tightening cattle biosecurity. Last year was officially the final one in which Natural England four-year licences could be issued, but now the government are rapidly backtracking on that promise. The environment chiefs are preparing to consult within weeks on fresh proposals to include killing the native mammals on a targeted basis alongside other disease control measures. The culls' effectiveness is already hotly disputed, with no science supporting the government's claims. They have now virtually stopped publishing any data on the badger culls, making it extremely difficult for those of us who oppose the ineffective and the ludicrously expensive badger culling policies. A letter from Rural Affairs Minister Lord Richard Bennion seen by Wildlife Matters states We are now transitioning towards a large-scale badger vaccination to create a more resilient wildlife population and reduce our reliance on blanket culling. The letter says the government is developing proposals for a targeted cluster-based approach to disease control. Both badger vaccination and badger culling will have a role to play in this. They are complementary eradication tools, mainly when underpinned by enhanced wildlife surveillance. As such, there would continue to be provision for culling on a targeted basis where epidemiological evidence suggests that this is appropriate. We have not yet consulted on these proposals, subject to ministerial agreement, we plan to do so in the autumn of 2023. Wildlife Matters believes that this so-called demiculling could allow the total eradication of badgers in some regions of the country and Wildlife Matters further believes that this would contravene the Bern convention by causing the intentional local extinction of a protective native species and as such, even under license, this would be illegal. Please, do contact your local Badger Group and make sure you submit your opposition to the proposals in the expected consultation during September of 2023. The letter tells us that DEFRA is still aiming to have a usable cattle vaccine in the coming years with no target date given. No surprise there. In fact, we are already 13 years on from when they first said they were looking into cattle vaccines. Their paymasters at the NFU are not keen on the cost of vaccinating dairy and meat cattle, obviously. Lord Bennion goes on to state that the badger cull has led to a significant reduction in the disease in cattle, but without giving any facts or details. But then he tries to pacify us by adding that no one wants to continue to colour protected species indefinitely. But that's exactly what he said earlier on in the letter. The bias towards badgers is completely unacceptable. Over half of the UK's badger population has already been culled, but none of them are tested for bovine TB. Curious then, when this bovine disease requires a test in cattle, and then, only if they are positive, they are killed, and the farmer financially compensated. Wildlife Matters believes the DEFRA plan To consult on epiculling, a shoot on site policy with no end date, is a betrayal of badgers and enforces the widely held belief that this government has lied to the electorate about animal welfare and environmental issues, such as river pollution, consistently for many years and has recently caused the well respected middle of the road RSPB to call the Prime Minister, the Environment Minister and the levelling-up minister of being liars in their claim never to relax legislation to protect the environment after they agreed to relax the nutrient neutrality legislation as building companies couldn't deal with the challenge of preserving the natural environment. I have to question what sort of a hellhole housing are they planning to build? Since the cold began in 2013, an estimated 210,000 badgers, a protected species remember, have been wiped out. Latest government statistics show that between April of 2022 and March of this year, 20,228 cows were slaughtered because of bovine TB. Lord Bennion's letter needs to provide more detail on the introduction of a much promised, more effective bovine TB controls. Nothing about using the improved cattle testing that is commercially available or indeed controlling cattle movements within the UK. It is also important to highlight a study called The Genomic Epidermiology of Microbacterium Bobis Infection in Sympatric, Badger and Cattle Populations in Northern Ireland. It was published in May 2023 and you can read it in full on PubMed website and a link will be in the notes of this podcast. This study found that cows were eight hundred times more likely to pass bovine tb to badgers than to other cattle shocking and that has been this week's wildlife matters nature news that really was a harrowing nature news this week wildlife matters remains committed to protecting as many badgers as possible on the ground whilst continuing to consult with politicians and defra officials in our ongoing intent to stop the badger coals so i'm really looking forward to spending a short time now in nature with you as we go for a walk on a warm summer evening along the beach, breathe in, relax and enjoy. Wow, I don't know about you, but I really needed that. A memory of a beautiful walk with my lovely lady and our handsome canine companion along the beach earlier this summer. Now we're heading back to the uplands of northern England following our recent visit to conclude our investigation into the shooting industry in this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. Welcome back to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates where we are looking at driven grouse shooting and asking, what is it all about? Driven grouse shooting is a uniquely British activity where red grouse are pampered on upland moors, also known as grouse moors, where their habitat, mainly heather, is managed to suit their needs and their needs alone. The gamekeepers protect them from local wildlife and predators. However, this is not a conservation project, but a pleasure-seeking activity where the grouse are ultimately shot for fun. The shooting season extends from the 12th of August, known as the Glorious 12, to the 10th of December each year. A shooting party typically comprises 8 to 10 guns, and that's what the shooters call themselves, and they form a line in the butts, which are the low wall structures positioned around 25 meters apart to minimize their profile. During the shoot, The grouse are driven out of their cover by a line of beaters, often accompanied by dogs whose purpose is to drive the grouse towards the guns. The gun's objective is to shoot the grouse in flight. Some may call this a sport, but most view it as a massacre. The grouse simply cannot escape. Up to 700,000 grouse are shot in this way every year. But that isn't the end of the devastation. Oh no, 6,000 or so tonnes of lead shot is left scattered over the uplands of Britain. Yes, lead, the deadly poisonous substance banned from petrol, paint and many other products has not been banned for the shooting industry. It's also important to note that the lead shot will be in the dead grouse. The shot is not removed. Some of these shot birds are sold to supermarkets, restaurants and butchers as game meat. We are shocked that lead contaminated meat is being sold to the general public without warning or labeling. The British taxpayer continues to massively subsidize the owners of these upland moors to maintain the unique ecosystems that are vitally important carbon sinks that draw the poisonous carbon dioxide from the air and store it in the peat bogs to aid our fight against the extremes of climate change. Shooting estates have received millions of pounds in yearly subsidies while burning peat to create a suitable environment for red grouse. This practice, known as peat burning, releases large amounts of the stored carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere, contributing to climate change and damaging the biodiversity and ecosystems of our precious upper moorlands. There is substantial evidence to suggest that the management of grouse on these moors is having a catastrophic impact on the land's ability to absorb rainfall. This is believed to be the underlying cause of flash flooding in lowland areas, devastatingly affecting nearby communities to the shooting estates. Shooting estates employ gamekeepers to safeguard the red grouse from predators. These gamekeepers are responsible for eliminating raptors such as hen harriers and golden eagles and land animals like foxes, stoats, and badgers that might just threaten the grouse. It's not hard to see why many people think grouse shooting should be banned in the UK. Heather moorland is a unique blend of bog and heath environments, currently in a pioneer stage towards developing into a stable woodland. Historically, the UK was heavily forested in these habitats, but humans have destroyed them. The moorland provides for a limited range of species and is meticulously maintained for grouse and heather through regular burning burning on moorlands to increase the red grouse population for recreational shooting is common. The process involves burning patches of heather which stimulates new growth and provides optimal nutrition in net new heather tips for the grouse. The patches are burnt strategically to create a variation of heather height and to offer cover for the grouse with a rotation period of about four years. Burning heather has a highly detrimental impact on the diverse moorland environment, significantly reducing the growth of sphagnum moss and drastically lowering the number of macroinvertebrates. These creatures play a crucial role in aquatic food chains, serving as a primary source of sustenance for algae and detritus at the bottom of the food chain before being consumed by birds, fish and amphibians. Peat bog burning profoundly affects their capacity to withstand acid rain and foster plant growth. Moreover, it causes rivers to become more acidic, leading to increased levels of silica, manganese, iron, and aluminium in our drinking water, compared to rivers flowing through unburned regions. The routine killing of native wildlife is abhorrent, Classed as predators, native wild animals like foxes, crows, and stoats are routinely trapped, poisoned, and killed. Protected species such as hen harriers and golden eagles are poisoned illegally, whilst in Scotland, mountain hares, which are not predators, are killed because they can carry high levels of ticks and a tick borne looping ill virus that is believed to transfer to the red grouse. The gamekeepers have no justifiable reason to kill so many mountain hares each year. These animals are harmless to grouse and even benefit from their environment. Despite being protected by law, the gamekeepers claimed that coal was necessary due to the risk of the tick-borne looping ill virus transmission. However. Scientific studies have shown that the risk of transmission from hares to red grouse is so low that mass culling is unnecessary. As a result, the Scottish Government has ceased issuing licences for the annual cull we can get closer to the truth when we understand that mountain hares are an important food source for larger raptors, such as golden eagles, harriers and peregrines, and mammalian predators such as foxes, stoats and the Scottish wildcat. The culling by gamekeepers takes away this food source from the natural predators of the grouse. The shooting industry in britain wields a great deal of power and influence yet they are being given public funds to conserve the upper moorlands biodiversity and ecosystems as well as to counterbalance carbon emissions and alleviate the consequences of climate change regrettably the government has not held them accountable for accomplishing these objectives. Instead, they have generated a heather monoculture that favors only one species that flourishes in a heather-rich environment while disregarding other indigenous species. This is unacceptable, particularly since the red grouse are hunted and shot for sport. Dr. Mark Avery, frequently employs an example from the glengarry highland estate to demonstrate the significant wildlife devastation that gamekeepers perpetuated albeit in the past it is indeed accurate that there was nothing new under the sun in the four years between 1837 and 1840 the estate keepers killed on one estate remember eleven Red foxes, one hundred and ninety-eight wild cats, seventy-eight house cats, two hundred and forty-six pine martens, one hundred and six pole cats, three hundred and one stoats and weasels, sixty-seven badgers, forty-eight otters, ninety-eight peregrine falcons, seventy-eight merlins. 462 kestrels 475 ravens i'm still going 285 buzzards three honey buzzards 15 golden eagles 27 sea eagles 18 osprey 63 goshawks 275 red kites 68 hen harriers, 109 owls, and 1,432 crows. Whilst this devastation happened nearly 200 years ago, it serves as a shocking reminder of the scale of the destruction that gamekeepers and estate owners were prepared to inflict upon native wildlife species so they could continue to shoot grouse. At least back then, they had the honesty to record their actions. And that has been this week. Wildlife Matters Investigates. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. And today we're looking at stag hunting that is still going on in the southwest of England. Even though stag hunting was banned by the Hunting Act back in 2004, along with any pursuit or hunting of mammals with packs of dogs. According to the law, no animal should ever be pursued by packs of dogs. There are, of course, some exemptions within the hunting act. One is that a mammal can be flushed out by a maximum of two hounds and then shot, or to relieve it of its suffering. Stags can also be killed for research purposes. Stag hunters rely on these exemptions and will often claim that their trail hunting but their hounds are following an artificial scent and not a genuine stag. In recent times, landowners in the southwest of England such as the National Trust have officially banned trail hunting on their land and Forestry England has suspended it. Sadly though, neither of these organisations does very little to enforce their bans, and I have witnessed stag hunting on National Trust land in the Quantooks. All deer hunting takes place in the southwest of England. There are three registered stag hunting packs based in the region. These are the Devon and Somerset stag hounds that hunt in the Exmoor National Park, the Quantock stag hounds that hunt throughout the Quantucks and Brendan Hills, and the Tiverton staghounds, that hunt throughout the valleys of the Ex, Tor and Torridge rivers. Red and roe deer are the species most commonly hunted, although the other four species of deer in the UK, fallow, seeker, reeves-muntjac and the Chinese water deer, are regularly culled by shooting parties. Before the Hunting Act of 2004, The hunts followed the practice of declaring a closed season in England, and that dates back to medieval times when it was called fence month, and commonly it lasted from around the 10th of June until the 10th of July each year, although the dates did vary. Also, several stag hunts used bows to hunt stags in the UK, but this was made illegal under the Wildlife and Countryside Act all the way back in 1981. Deer stalking is a widely used term by hunters and it signifies almost all forms of deer shooting. But in Britain it refers to shooting red deer. Another quirk of the British hunters is deer hunting which historically meant the sporting pursuit of a deer with scent seeking or stag hounds by hunters on horseback and on foot. As late as the 19th and 20th centuries, stag hunts were hunting carted deer. A carted deer were red deer that were kept in captivity for the sole purpose of being hunted. So what actually happens on a stag hunt? Well, stag hunts are long and arduous, often taking three to four hours and sometimes more, and traveling up to 20 kilometers. The pursuit of the deer itself consists of intermittent flights where the deer runs away from hounds at speed, exerting itself until it believes it has sufficient distance built up between it and the hounds. Once there is an adequate distance between the deer and the hounds, the deer will slow down. This is when the hunters will change to fresh hounds, new hounds and continue with a series of these successive flights until the deer either escapes or becomes exhausted. An exhausted deer often stands at bay where it turns to face the hounds. The stag is prepared to fight, but the hunters will then shoot the deer at close range, often using a shotgun. Stag hunt will hunt twice a week from early August until the end of April throughout their area. After successful prosecutions, all three stag hunts now hunt with two hounds, and that is considered legal under the Hunting Act. The harbourer chooses the stag to be hunted and then sets out on horseback with the tufters, which are older, more experienced stag hounds. The tufters will rouse the deer herd and start the chase. It's at this point that the stag will outrun the pursuing hounds with some ease. But once the stag is separated from the herd and is being pursued alone, the job of the harbourer is done. It is at this point that Wildlife Matters believes that the stag is being hunted and not flushed to a gun. Now, the hunters and support staff in their four-by-fours and maybe on quad bikes or dirt bikes race to positions on high ground whilst a fresh new pair of hounds begin to pursue the stag. At this point, there will be at least 10 with multiple teams of fresh hounds all in pursuit of the single stag. The use of multiple pairs of hounds is known as relaying. It is one of the many ways the hunters continue their bloodlust by defying the law. The Hunting Act definition of the term to flush is to use no more than two hounds to flush or spook the stag out into the open to be shot by a waiting gunman. This most certainly is not what is happening. The hunt will search for a herd of deer with the supporters driving around the area and calling in when deer are spotted. The hunters will try to justify their actions by claiming any number of exemptions to the Hunting Act. Perhaps the most common is that they only hunt sick or injured animals. But this is clearly not true as they will run the stack for several hours and a sick or injured animal simply could not do that. Another favourite is that they are undertaking scientific research. It is a legitimate exemption under the Hunting Act. In fact, at one meet last season, when the hunt had killed a young stag, the hunt staff claimed the stag had TB, so it had to be killed. But still, they cut its throat and let its blood spill all over their hands. They are very perverse and seriously deluded people. That is one of the ways that TB can spread to humans. In my experience, stag hunts attract some of the most unsavoury characters. Many supporters and followers play a vital role in what is undoubtedly illegal stag hunting. The support staff are often the same folk who support the fox and the hare hunts, and they can be heard making threats and their attempts at intimidation, as well as assaults on the hunt sabs, criminal damage to the cameras, phones and other equipment. Oh, and they are particularly keen on smashing vehicle tires and smashing vehicle windows. During the hunt, these support staff will race around in their vehicles, looking for a stag to alert to the huntsman. They'll also attempt to slow down any fleeing stags or turn the stag backwards towards the hounds by hollering and making as much noise as possible. The support and field riders will try their utmost to stop the stag from seeking sanctuary on adjoining land that does not allow them to hunt. I've actually seen deer fencing erected by hunt staff along the boundaries of sanctuary land to stop the stags from turning back. But for me, it's how they act when the stag collapses from exhaustion. You can see the hunt staff racing to get down to the kill. It's genuinely horrific witnessing the bloodlust of these sad people as they jump on the collapsed stag, grab hold of its antlers and sit on him while they wait for a gun carrier. Once the gun carrier has shot the stag, they will joyfully cut its throat before they begin to butcher it. They take the stag's body parts as trophies. The head with its antlers is the biggest prize, but they will take the slots, or the hooves, and the bottom part of the leg. Sometimes even the teeth are taken for a macabre necklace that serves as some sordid memento of the stag's killing. By tradition, the landowner will be given the stag's heart. Deer hunts use a three-stage process of hunting throughout the year. They will start by hunting mature stags in August and continue that until the end of October before they begin hunting the hinds or female deer in November. Although because the females will stay in their packs more, the hunters cannot chase them as they can with a stag and so will often shoot whole groups of females completely wiping out sections of a herd. While venison at Christmas is usually a hind from one of these cold-blooded massacres. At the beginning of March the young stags have grown enough to provide a chase and the hunters use them to train their new hounds. They will continue to hunt these young red bucks until the end of April but roebucks will be hunted well into May of each year. Deer hunting today is not of food or indeed any necessity. Nobody can convince me that anyone who will keep horses and packs of hounds employ 10 to 30 people and spend several hours multiple times a week chasing a wild animal to exhaustion to shoot it has any other reason but their own, I would say perverted desire to kill another sentient being for fun. I cannot understand what satisfaction people get from being so barbaric. Yet every week throughout most of the year, these people go out and chase wild animals to exhaustion before killing them. They are breaking the law by pursuing the deer for extended periods. The law permits them to flush a deer with dogs and then shoot it. It must be clear that a group of people on horseback often dressed in hunting jackets accompanied by 10 to 30 people in four x fours or on quad bikes with packs of hounds are not out conducting scientific research or even undertaking a deer cull at the request of the landowner. And they are certainly not following a pre-laid trail, as they often claim. Can you imagine if you or your friends grouped up in a fancy dress this weekend and drove your cars and quad bikes around a local countryside? I'm pretty sure the police would soon be very interested in what you were up to. That is why Wildlife Matters believes we need to enforce the Hunting Act to ensure that stags do not suffer in this way and are pursued to exhaustion before being killed anymore in this country of animal lovers. That has been this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. Wow, those stack hunters are some of the weirdest I've come across in this already bizarre world of box hunters, badger colors and blood sport junkies. Thankfully, my life has never been so bad that I could find pleasure in killing another living being for my fun. And that really is the bottom of the stink pit. On next week's wildlife matters podcast we take on the fox hunters and explore some of their fake trails and in wildlife matters investigates we will reveal the plight of captive cetaceans worldwide if you would like more wildlife matters then do check out our website www.wildlife-matters.org that's www. Wildlife-Matters.org for every podcast we have ever made in Series One and the current Series Two. And if you like what you hear, why not go and tell somebody? You can also buy us a coffee, join our Patreon, or subscribe to our Substack. And of course, you can find Wildlife Matters on all the leading social media platforms, including X facebook instagram threads and linkedin and that's an excellent place to bring another action packed wildlife matters podcast thing to land all that's left to, for me to do is to say a huge thank you to you for choosing to listen to us we love you all but for now this is me nigel palmer wildlife matters signing out